Hello, everyone, to the second podcast here. Uh, I appreciate everyone for uh, joining me today. Today, our special guest is Erin Hogue, and she is someone that I've had the privilege of knowing since high school. We go back, yeah, over 10 or 15 years now. It's been a while. And Erin is a photographer. She's someone that I've known for a while, and she's really followed her passion for a while. So I'm going to throw it over to her for now and give you a chance for her to uh, introduce herself. And she'll tell you a bit more about what she does and where she's come from. Yeah, sweet. Um, so um, I'm Erin Hogue, and I'm a photographer. And I started out kind of in high school. And now I shoot a lot of snowboard and action photography in the winter. And then I do a lot of lifestyle and corporate photography um, and a lot of adventure um, photography as well. Yeah, so um, we go, we, we did photography together back in high school, we were like spending time in the dark room with you, and so we kind of know each other for a long time, but how did you know that photography was your thing? Like, at what point in time in your life were you like, this is what I want to do, and kind of where I want to go with my life? Um, I don't know if there was one specific point where I realized it. I always kind of knew I loved it, and um, in high school, you can't take photography until grade 11 or grade grade 10 or 11 and I was excited to take it beforehand and I don't know what initiated that but I was really excited before to take it and then our high school program was just a really good program for photography so I was really lucky that way and it really helped me kind of just get a real sense of what it's what photography was really all about and kind of gave you an idea that you could do it sort of as a job and people kind of have um, but I didn't really, um, I didn't really say, oh, I'm going to do this for a living right in high school. I kind of really liked it and really wanted to keep doing it no matter what. And then I applied for university and originally I applied for like broadcast journalism or something completely different. And then I realized I don't really like writing that much. So I probably shouldn't go to university for journalism. Um, and then yeah, makes sense. I, uh, and it's funny cause now I write a lot too. So it's kind of funny because I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And I do it anyways. Um, but yeah, so then I originally applied for journalism and didn't really get in. And I never, my family didn't really kind of support it as a career. They didn't really see it as a career and they didn't really want me to go to university for it. So I applied the next year to a couple photography programs and then some communication programs and some more general kind of programs. And I just happened to get into the photography programs and I got into one of the like more well-known photography programs in Canada. So I was like, if I get into that program, then I guess I'm going to go for photography. And that's kind of what the deciding factor was in that I wanted to do photography was that I got into this program. Nice. Um, going back a little bit, you said that your parents weren't really super supportive of you getting into photography. So I have a very similar story. I applied to the same school you did actually at Ryerson photography and I never got in. And so but I didn't really pursue it outside of that. I sent in my portfolio, didn't get in. I was like, okay, I guess that's the end of my photography dream. And I was kind of, yeah, in high school, I just kind of gave up on it and never looked back on it. And then I applied to a bunch of mediocre programs like environmental studies, economics, being a school teacher, all things that seemed completely relevant to me and off my path. And then I ended up going to York University simply because it was close to home. And it's what my parents thought it was kind of like best for me to do. Um, so how did you deal with the stigma of like, you know, you chose a path that your parents weren't fully supportive of what kind of led you to make that decision and kind of go against what they thought would be best for you? Um, 
it wasn't, it definitely wasn't an easy decision to make. Even, um, even taking photography in high school, I had to fight for because my schedule, I was always kind of good in science and math. So, and there's a lot, a lot of science and math classes that are mandatory if you're going to go that route. So my schedule was pretty full of those things. And so I remember I fought with my mom one day about like fighting to even be able to take photography in high school. And I basically just, I don't know, I guess I was kind of a brat because I just took it anyway. And uh, yeah, and then since then, just dealing with it, um, I think I also was really lucky that when I was in high school, a friend of mine, um, as you mentioned before, um, started a nonprofit, Skate for Cancer, and he skateboarded across countries. And right away, I was interested and like wanted to help out with that. And I had time because I took an extra year after high school where like it was high school finished. And then I had another year where I was still taking some high school classes. Um, but I hadn't decided what I wanted to do yet. So I was kind of just had some extra time on my hands. So I started to help out with that and then he was going to go on the road and I really wanted to go on the road. And I knew that if I took pictures, then I could get to go on the road too. And I wanted to get out of our hometown and they were going to California and it all sounded amazing. And I really wanted to do photography. So that was kind of another like pretty big catalyst in making me like get into photography was I went on the road with them and in order to do it, I had to be able to give them something. So I started taking pictures there and I really loved that. And then I think when I went on the road, um, my parents were really scared that I wasn't going to come home and go to university. So they eventually just, I think, let me go to university for whatever I wanted and didn't really say anything about it because they were worried I wasn't going to come back and I wasn't going to go for anything. So um, I was really lucky that way and that they didn't really say anything. They were just glad that I came back and glad that I was actually going to university. So they kind of stopped saying things then, but it was never really like full support. Like it was always, um, I just kind of had to ignore it. And that's how it is. Like everybody, I don't know, I feel like no one ever told me that being a photographer was a good idea and no one ever said, you should do this. This is a great idea. I think you kind of just get used to it and just expect people to just be like, no, you can't do that. And you just kind of you get so used to it that you don't even notice it and it happens. Well said. Um, so fast forward to today, you live in Whistler and I consider you having one of the best lifestyles that I know because you get to go on snowmobiles up mountains with professional photographers and just photograph them and watch them do crazy tricks and you get to go snowboarding with them. So tell people a little more about your day-to-day life and kind of what you're doing today and kind of how you've been able to transition from a high school you know, university program that was out in Ontario, which is more inland for those that don't really know where that is, to um, Vancouver, which has the Rockies, and Whistler, which is one of the best snowboarding spots in the world. Um, yeah, so I shoot a lot of professional snowboarders and skiers, and I always knew that I wanted to move out to uh, the West Coast. I came once, I think, when I was 10, and decided and thought it was the coolest thing that people could live at the bottom of a mountain and decided that one day I was going to do it. So when I graduated from university, I decided that before I really started my career, I had to come and move out here and just kind of see how things were. And I always like always had snowboard mags and always thought it would be really cool to take the photos and the snowboard mags. So I kind of moved out here just like on a whim as like something that I wanted to do. And I didn't really have, um, that many contacts, but, um, 
I had a one friend that I used to work with at a store and she kind of lived in Whistler and she was like, if you ever need anywhere to stay, let me know. And so she was like, if you want to move, and I kind of mentioned that I wanted to move eventually. And she's like, yeah, you can totally stay with me. So sort of on a whim, I moved out and stayed with her and started to set up my life just to be like, I was only going to do one season and kind of see how it went. And instead, I decided on the first day on the mountain to break my wrist and it was my right wrist. So then I said, forget photography. This was this horrible idea. I can't even hold a camera. I can't take photos. Whistler was a bad idea, so then I ended up having to move back to Ontario, and it was just like a really bad wrist injury. Like, you'd think, oh, wrist injury, not a big deal, but mine was pretty bad, so... Um, I remember you telling me that... I had external fixation, doctor. and yeah, so then I was just kind of like, it was going to have arthritis forever, so I was like, silly idea. I can't even, like, carry anything in my right hand, let alone do what I want to do, and then I still wanted to live in Whistler, so then I moved back even when I had still decided that photography was a bad idea and I was really lucky and I just kind of fell back into it. Um, my friend at skateboards was doing another trip and I was like, if I can get funding to do this trip, then I'll get back into photography. And I sent one email and was able to get the funding to go on the trip and the trip was to Australia. So I was like, sweet. And I was like, looks like I'm doing photography again. And then that's sort of when I decided to sort of start doing a lot more snowboard photography. Um, and one of my friends took me snowmobiling one day because I decided to start doing some more photography at that point and she needed some photos and she was awesome and she's like I'll take you sledding like we go sledding all the time and she took me one day and I knew at that on that day that in order to be able to do the photography I wanted to do I had to get a sled so then I saved up and the next year I bought a sled and that's kind of it's just kind of grown from there I guess I just kind of decided to do it no one really said it was a good idea, and originally when I first wanted to buy a sled, everyone was kind of like, you can't do it, you're not going to be able to sled, girls can't sled, like, you'll never be able to make it happen, and then I met a few girls that actually did sled, so yeah, eventually I just bought a sled, and it's just kind of been a matter of doing it anyway, even though no one sort of tells you to, or no one gives you... You just kind of find a way to do yeah, it. Yeah, you just make it work, I guess. You just find your way. Um, and is it all pretty and dandy? Like, I know you live in Whistler, but I guess there's times where you've worked other jobs and stuff like that. So how do you kind of juggle when things aren't going as well? Like, I'm not sure what you're, like, how you get paid out, but I'm guessing it's, like, from shoot to shoot kind of thing. So I guess there might be, like, any entrepreneur. I ran a marketing company for a little bit, and the problem that I had was there was lulls between clients. So you'd have, like, a big paycheck, you get paid out, and things were great, and then, like, three months would go by and you weren't getting anything. So, like, how do you deal because one of the biggest things that people quit when they're kind of in that dip and there's that adversity going on. So, like, when you have a low point, like, how have you been able to get through some of those moments in your personal experience? Um, I, I've i been really lucky in that I really like waitressing and serving. So um, the whole time, like, even when I sort of, as soon as my wrist was strong enough, I started serving again, and I always liked doing it and I liked doing it on the side and it was really good because it's consistent income and it's really flexible. So I just sort of found a job that I could still do what I wanted to do. But if there was ever any lulls, I could pick up more work there. Um, so I did that for a long time where I just did photography and like it was kind of a transition. Like I'd mostly serve or whatever. It was slow for photography. I'd serve more 
and waitress more. And then as soon as photography picked up, it's one of those jobs where you can just not do it as much. And it's pretty decent paying. And for me, for like a really, really long time, it was really fun. Like I loved doing it. And um, it'd be like instead of going out with your friends, I'd go and work. But it was still social and I was still out and um, and that kind of thing. So I was lucky in that I found like I like doing that. And I found that kind of got me through all those sort of lulls or low periods. And I always worked with really good people that were really understanding. So I could leave at the drop of a hat and it was fine so you had people that were supportive of your uh dream like you could basically you built a job around what you wanted to do and that way you could always kind of get away if you needed to yeah yeah i was really lucky i was yeah i think too in whistler it's not that easy to find good consistent people so once they've trained someone they would rather not find someone and because i would come and go i always really loved being there so i think um, when they find employees that are like that, then they're a lot more lenient with what they'll let you get away with. <laughs> so, cool. yeah. Switching over a little more to your day-to-day work. So when you're up on the mountain and you're taking photographs, um, how do you know the photos you take are going to turn out? Like, what do you do from an artistic standpoint, from a photographer, to ensure that you're getting quality shots? Um, snowboard photography is one of the hardest to ensure anything because conditions change. And it's all weather dependent. So you could be all set for a sunny day with good snow and at the drop of a hat, the snow either gets sunbakes or cloud roll, clouds roll in or whatever. But for me, um, I always, and I'm lucky because I did a lot of documentary photography before I fully started doing snowboard photography. And so um, I always make sure to do a lot of, sort of the lifestyle photographs and a lot of the photographs that a lot of pure action sports photographers don't think to do. They only want to get the banger shots that are going to sell um, for the ads, but lifestyles are really easy for me to get. So I'll always make sure that I'm shooting those lifestyles or I'll always try and talk to the brands and see if there's anything specific that they are looking for that they need. And then I work for a few of the magazines too. So I'm always trying to, every trip I go on, I try and make a story out of it. Um, and then I'll do the writing too. So I always, um, sort of make sure and have something in the back of my head of like, okay, I, we're not going to get like the shots we really want to get, but I have like, you just have to make something out of nothing sometimes um and so far i've been really lucky that i've been able to do that is that kind of um one of your little secrets you could say when it's like because yeah i would always think that there's times when you're out there and you're shooting and it's like shit i'm not going to get the shot that i want or there's something going on whether it's like bad snow or the conditions whatever it is um so like how do you find ways to kind of present some material back to the magazines or the person that's hired you to ensure that there's some kind of quality from the work that you're producing? Um, yeah, I just always shoot anyways. And I look for those moments or the, the photos that people don't, cause sometimes, um, brands will need a photo of a jacket or there'll be other things. And I've also started doing more, um, stock photography so the athletes like the actual professional riders and snowboarders i can't shoot them necessarily um for stock because they're a brand in themselves but um the, the other there's usually a filmer um along with us as well so i can shoot like photos of the filmer so it's just like or shoot landscapes or just making sure that no matter what you're 
kind of still trying to get something because snowboard photography, like you just can't control the conditions. Um, and some days you can't really get anything. Like some days I haven't really had very many where I haven't, I've gone up for a day and not sold a single thing, but, um, it can happen, but then there's days where you sell a lot. So it sort of evens out. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just shooting as much as you can while you're out there and just sort of always having an eye out. And would you say stock photography, is that like another avenue that you're kind of going into a little bit more? Is that something you're trying to kind of do on the side to kind of maybe help create a little bit more uh, revenue for yourself? Yeah, I think um, the photography industry is changing a lot with the advent of video and even the snowboard um, snowboard photography. The It's getting less and less lucrative and there's a lot less staff photographers. There used to be a lot of staff photography positions and those are all getting taken out of companies with cutbacks and that kind of thing um, right now. So I think you used to, to be in photography, you had to have a specialty and it was really important that you had one specific thing that you shot and people thought of you of shooting that sort of type of photography. And now I think you have to be a lot more, um, you just have to be in a lot more avenues. You can't just pick necessarily one avenue because the, the money isn't there as much as it used to be. Like you used to be able to just be an editorial photographer and you could make all your money off editorial. But now that's shrunken down so much that you can't just be an editorial photographer. When you're shooting something, you have to be shooting for editorial. You have to be thinking of stock. Like just get as much, um, just shoot for as many different outlets as you can when you're shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just, just the way that the industry is going. Makes sense. Anthony Robbins always says that the uh, defining factor in success is not um, resources, not like who you know or how much money you have, but it's resourcefulness. And I feel that's a great example of you being resourceful and finding opportunities in a market uh, that is shrinking, right? With the advent of digital photography, it's obviously more and more people can take pictures and it's becoming more and more competitive. So the fact that you're finding new avenues and opportunities, that would be the definition of being entrepreneurial and trying to make your dream happen the way that you see fit. So that's really cool. Good on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, flipping over, I know you went to Alaska recently, a place that I really want to yeah. go to. Um, I know you slept on the side of road. Tell me a little more about your, and the audience, about your Alaska trip. Yeah, so I just spent, I guess, almost three weeks um, camping in Alaska. And nice. it's an amazing and crazy place. Um, we were actually camping in Haynes' Pass, which is technically in BC, um, but it's about an hour drive from Haynes, Alaska. So um, we it's literally a road that goes to Haynes. Like, the road doesn't go anywhere else but to Haynes, Alaska. And it's right um, – Haynes' Pass is right – it's a mountain pass, so it's right in the mountains – and they have pull-offs, and I guess it's a big thing for people to do from Whitehorse. They go and they camp on the side of the road, and then they kind of ski in the mountains or snowmobile, like, off the highway in the mountains. So there's – it's not a campsite or anything. It's literally, like, a pull-off on a road, like those lookout pull-offs, but a bunch of people camp there. So um, so you're basically camping on a pull-off, basically a lookout point, and you just set up tents and just kind of – hanging out on the side of the road is what yeah, it comes down to. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Like, it's not camping in a awesome. campsite. It's basically hanging out on the side of the road and camping. But it's funny because there's so many people there, and, like, you can tell when it's the weekend because there's so many more people. 
And, um, yeah, people just park there. It's mostly campers um, that are parked there because it's the winter. But we were lucky we had a tent with a wood-burning stove. So we had to collect firewood and um, stoke the fire and stuff. But it was really cool because you just park your snowmobile next to the tent. And then in the morning you wake up and on sunny days you just get ready and you leave, like, right from your tent and get on your snowmobile and kind of go out and you're basically like already in the mountains. Um, but we were going pretty far back. So it took us like, I guess we're going like 45 minute snowmobile back. Um, a couple like over, there's like two big hill climbs or like mountain climbs and you kind of go back and the terrain there is insane. It's incredible. Every single one of the, um, one of the guys that we were with, He's a geologist, so he was telling us about how all the mountain for- mountains formed, and it's crazy because each bowl, I guess you could say, um, is looks completely different. So one has lots of spires and is really spiky, and then the one next to it is more rolly, and they just look like they should be on, in completely different mountain ranges, but they're all essentially like one or two mountains, and just like all these different bowls just have completely different look, and it was just how sort of the plates are pressing up against each other in that area and how um, how they're moving and how they formed, like, so long ago. Um, so it's a really cool place. And the snow there is amazing. And then you drive into Haines, and it's just right on the ocean. It's this amazing ocean town. And we were camping, in, like, in blizzards in the snow. And then you drive into Haines, which is an hour away, and it's it can be, like, nice and sunny or it's right on the coast. So it could be a completely different climate. But the ocean's right there, and it's just this little small town. And we were lucky because everyone – Whistler had a really bad season this year, so everybody from Whistler was in Haines. So basically we'd go into town and just hang out with all our friends in town. So, yeah. So would your day basically look like would you guys um, jump in the trucks, grab your sleds, drive to Alaska, and then kind of um, take your sleds – sleds up the mountain and kind of just find a spot where you could shoot and kind of uh, build a jump or kind of what was the, you know, day to day? Cause it's, you know, for me, it's hard to even comprehend kind of how that goes down. Yeah. So kind of paint a little bit of a picture. Uh, yeah. So basically a typical day. Well, we drove, um, like our trucks are parked right next to our tents. So basically you drive from Whistler with all your gear, you set up your tent and then go to sleep and unload your sled, go to sleep, wake up, and then you never, the whole time that we were there, we never loaded our sleds back on our trucks once. You bring jerry cans to fill them with gas. So you basically, like, wake up in the morning, and you're in a tent, so you have to, like, stoke the fire and, like, put wood on the fire because it's freezing cold in the tent, but you're in your sleeping bag. And then the tents heat up instantly like as soon as you light a fire you're hot like there whenever you're trying to cook in the morning and stuff you basically have the door of the tent open because it gets so hot from the heat from um, cooking so we'd wake up stoke the fire boil water to make coffee and then make some eggs or bacon um, make breakfast basically or porridge whatever Um, and then yeah you just like get all your gear together in the tent and load up the sleds and then um for us, um, you're usually in a crew when you're filming and shooting photos. Mm-hmm. So there's usually two or three riders um, in your crew and one filmer. And then you guys kind of go out together. And in Alaska, because there's huge crevasses everywhere, and there's some crevasses that um, 
are partially covered with a thin layer of ice, you can fall in the crevasses or you're climbing up hills. What do you mean by crevasse exactly? Like a big hole? Or yeah, what is a it? crevasse is, um, yeah, a huge, sometimes bottomless hole. Um, and it's just a lot of the time it happens on the edges of glaciers because they don't like because it's essentially a piece of ice. A glacier is like a piece mm-hmm. of ice. So the middle of the glacier is all frozen and usually pretty solid, but the edges can kind of have these huge holes in them. And when you think of like how glaciers move and how glaciers form, they don't form with like solid straight edges. When they're forming, they kind of have huge divots and stuff in them. And when it's a glacier, it's massive. So the divots are huge and they can be anywhere from like 20 to bottomless. Like they're just, you have no idea. And a lot of the time, um, because you're snowmobiling across a flat surface, you can't see the holes because they just sort of blend in until you're right at them. So you can't really mm-hmm. see them from, and especially if you're hill climbing, like you can't see a hole. If you're going up a hill, you don't see it as a hole. You see it as flat or you see it as like part of the hill. Um, so it's just a big danger in Alaska because there's a lot of crevasses there. And because of the way that everything formed, it's a little bit different than Whistler in that there's like tons of holes, tons of crevasses. And where we were going, we didn't know the area um, because not as many people sled like in Whistler. So it's really safe is what you're saying. Pardon? It's very safe. Yeah, it's saying. really safe, which is why you wear a harness because you could fall in a hole at any point in time. Um, it's yeah so it's sounds awesome pretty gnarly but um the train there is so amazing that it's worth it and you just have to be careful like as long as so you can't in whistler sometimes you can go out on cloudy days and still find stuff and get photos but we couldn't go sledding on cloudy days because you have to be able to see because you don't know necessarily where the holes were and we would go back to the same place so the first day is a little bit more high stress because you don't know where you're going and you're investigating, you're kind of finding your way. And I'm really lucky that I can go with guys that have a lot of experience sledding because sledding is hard in itself. And so they have a lot of experience sledding and finding zones and kind of venturing around. So they're pretty good about being safe, not knowing where they're going kind of thing. <laughs> so um, the first day is a little bit more stressful, but then once you kind of have an idea for the area, there was so much stuff in Alaska that we could keep going back to this one spot And it was basically there's like two pretty big kind of hill climbs and then you drop down into the next bowl and then you climb another mountain and then you drop down into the next bowl. And then there was lots of stuff sort of there. But, um, yeah, you're kind of going around crevasses. There was one spot that we called the Devil's Garage because it was basically this huge like multi-layer hole at the bottom of one of the hills that we had to go down. And you basically, the way to get down the hill is to go directly as though you're going into the devil's garage. And then right before, right when you get to the bottom of that hill, you kind of veer off and turn to the side. But if, but you're basically like veering off so that you don't end up going into the devil's garage. And the same thing, like when you're going out, it's the same. So there was one day where it ended up whiting out and the hill was pretty... We couldn't see, so you can't see your hand in front of you. So you look at the hill, and you have no idea how steep it is. You have no idea if it's a hill or if it's flat or if there's, like, other tracks in it and where they are. So I was trying to go up, and I hit someone else's track and got fucked. And my slide just kind of, like, turned to its side, and I sort of just, like, kind of fell off. And then I looked down, and, like, 
30 feet below me was like going down into the devil's garage and I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> so then you just kind of like, not good. Yeah, keep going. So it's kind of crazy, but yeah. So anyway, so we go out and you just kind of go and sort of find spots and look at different lines and just kind of figure out the area and what there is. And then the guys kind of hike up different lines and then pick what they want to ride. And then I just figure out where to shoot it from. Sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. So it's kind of awesome. a typical day, I guess. <laughs> a usual day in the office for you. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary <laughs> Yeah, at usual all. day in the office. Just watch out for the, the devil's garage. The big 40-foot cavasses that can... Like, <laughs> yeah, basically, like, if your sled goes down there, you're never getting it back. It's That's it. It's just gone. It's gone. Fair enough. Um, so if somebody were to get into photography and want to kind of follow in your footsteps and go on these crazy adventures, what would you recommend for somebody that's kind of getting into it and kind of, you know, pursuing a photography career? What advice would you give that person? Um, if they want to do sort of like snowboard and action kind of photography, sure. uh, just do it. You just kind of have to figure out where the best place is to be to do that type of photography and go there and live there. And then you just kind of have to just do it. Like there's no easy way around it. There's no really formula, which is kind of cool about photography because you can make it work for you. But at the same time, there's no step-by-step instruction book. You basically just have to just go and do it. Dive in head first, submerge yourself and just, uh, yeah. And just, yeah. Keep doing it and, kind of hope for the best i think i got kind of lucky somehow but yeah you basically just do it awesome any um last words you want to uh say to the audience before we wrap up here um i guess just don't listen to anyone that tells you that you can't do it if you want to do something then just do it and it's not going to be easy like no part of it's easy but um, but yeah, I guess it's just, it ends up being worth it. Like I can't picture my life any other way, even though it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You keep saying you're become you're going to become a teacher, professor one day and teach mm-hmm. photography. I still don't see that happening for you because you live a very crazy wild lifestyle. And so I can't really imagine you in front of, um, you know, 40 or a hundred students giving a lecture on photography. I just don't <laughs> see that in your personality, but maybe one day I, you will, maybe I as you get older, like, you're proving wrong, but I feel we'll like see. when I'm like 45, 50, I'm going to want to, cause it's pretty stressful, like almost falling in 20 foot crevasses. If you have kids in a family, isn't really something that you're probably going to be okay with still. Does your mom know about these crevasses? No, she's not allowed to listen to this. I can't send her a copy. <laughs> she's not allowed. She worries enough. Not allowed. Fair enough. All right, well, thank you, Aaron, for your time. I appreciate you being the second guest on my podcast and uh, for sharing your experiences and your story, stories in Alaska there. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for uh, turning, in, or turning in today.